You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Lord, wake up in a world that has so much opinion, in a world that is throwing so much opinion at us. May your opinion, may your voice be louder, Lord, than all of the voices coming our way. May your truth, the truth of your word, as we will open up this timeless, eternal, inerrant, inspired word, this love letter that you have written us, the word of God, it's living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces way beyond what the world is saying. It pierces the very core of our being. And it is and always will be truth. And so may you, Holy Spirit, who Jesus said would be here in John's Gospel like to be our teacher, the Paracletos to come alongside us, to assist us, to bring things to our remembrance, to be our teacher, to empower us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to be all that you are to be in the life of the followers of Christ and those who have yet to give their lives to him. Bring people to conviction, to the awareness of their depravity, to the awareness of their lostness, that they have yet to be saved if they are not saved. And may you bring those people to an awareness of your love. Greater love, you said, has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And you went to the cross and you laid down your life for the worst of us. And man, we who are redeemed, we say thank you this morning. We who are saved, adopted, we can look and just just be so thankful at the transformation you have brought in our life. And we now collectively unite our faith and pray for anyone here, listening online, wherever that might be, who needs to just surrender to you. We pray they would, Lord. We pray they would. As we continue our, our journey through Hebrews 11 and just really looking at at faith that perseveres. Open our hearts. Grow our faith. Mature our faith. Strengthen our faith. Make it more of what you desired to produce in these original recipients of this letter. These converted Jews, these Hebrews, whose faith was faltering because of circumstances and pressures of their day. And may we just leave here this morning, we just sang about adoring you. <laughs> That's an amazing word. But may we, may we leave here all that much more surrendered to you, to your voice. May your, be, your persuasion be overwhelming in our lives this morning. We love you. We trust you. We have no reason to not trust you. Speak to us now. We need you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Lori and I just uh, took a little road trip. We decided to take a drive. Thought we would just drive. Two weeks later, we said, let's stop driving. We earned our way, kind of worked our way up to uh, Mammoth and up to Idaho, South Idaho, and, and up into Wyoming. I know a lot of people are all excited about different states and whatnot. I'll just give you a, a good tip from my vantage point. If I was leaving, I'm not. I'd go to Wyoming. That place is amazing. I'd be back here for winter just to get that part clear, okay? But uh, beautiful land out there, beautiful creation out there. Um, we were in, in a cowboy town called Cody, Wyoming, and we decided to start making our way back home. And 
and uh, had dinner, and I just got, ah, let's just drive. I can drive during the night, you know, and uh, so we started driving, and, and they're ahead a little bit in their time, and, and as it was getting dark, we were driving through a very remote po- part of our country, and no cell coverage or anything, and, and Lori's phone all of a sudden picked up our service, and there we were, and just, just I wish I could say it was a romantic, you know, holding her hand, driving through, but it, it wasn't. We were kind of tired, and, you know, it's a long day, and and uh, I wasn't feeling the love kind of thing. You know, I wasn't holding her hand or anything. I had both hands on the wheel, you know, where you're supposed to and all that. And here comes our worship. And I'm driving and I'm like, that is so right. It is so right that, that people who have fallen in love with Jesus would love him enough and be drawn by his love enough to gather and worship him. And there we are, just, just driving in an area with no cell coverage, going, we got La Habra right now. We are worshiping Jesus. And they say, you know, home is where your heart is. If that's true, we should all be looking upward right now. Amen? But until we get there, there is a big part of life to be lived down here. And, you know, there's, there's, there's so many reasons to have, Lori and I, you know, we call this This home, our girls, our son-in-laws, our extended family, this is is home. And I wish I could be the kind of person that said, man, I'm a surfer. Lord, I feel you calling me to Hawaii. There's home. (laughs) But you know who's not there? You're not there. The people we have fallen in love with, the people that we call familia, the the people that, that many of you, we don't even know you, but... You love us, we love you, we support one another. And, and that is not an easy thing to, to create. It's something God does. And I pray that we don't ever lose sight of that. I know that we have a lot of new people here, and you might not know who we were pre-COVID, okay? Look around. This is who we were pre-COVID. This is who we, this is, who we is. And the only thing that's missing is a, is a big old fat Old Spice hug from John Bush at the door, Okay? We just, you know, we're not hugging as much and that kind of thing. And, but the love is there. And I pray that wherever, you know, I know that a lot of our people have moved on and moved out. And, and a lot of you have done the same at other churches. And we're not keeping track of people. We're not taking roll call on people. We're not calling people and asking them where they've been. or what. That's not, our, that's not our, our job. The church is owned by the one who paid for it. And Jesus Christ paid for you and I with his precious blood. And we trust him as the head of the church, as the groom of the bride, to to direct us and to police us and to give us vision and wisdom to navigate through these very, very uncertain days. I will tell you, as we've traveled and hit a lot of tourist spots, that it is interesting to pull up into parking lots with people with a California license plate in Wyoming and Utah and Nevada and Oregon and these different places we went to. They're kind of like, hey, you know, what's going on with the California people? And then we got to meet people from Portland, Oregon and, and from Chop, the city there in Seattle and Chicago and, and just sitting down and kind of comparing, you know, what's going on out there. And it's amazing to see their view of us as we view them. And a lot of that's through the same media called cable network news. These are real people who are really looking for peace, really looking for answers, really looking for um, a healthy environment to raise their family. They're looking for freedom. They're looking for what they are wired to be as Americans, a lot of them as Christian Americans. And I know that there can be so many polarizing views and dividing views over so many different things that are unique to us as a culture. This morning, I pray that the love of Jesus Christ is rekindled in all of our hearts. Love for Him. Love from Him. Love displayed through us. That that love unites anything in our thinking, anything in our social posturing that would divide us. 
I pray that his voice is louder than any person you've listened to that he has created. I do pray that. I pray that his voice is louder than any politician. I pray that you are not looking for answers or solutions to your life in a political figure or a political party. I pray that you are a kingdom kid and you are all about the king. And we are here to worship him and to allow him to speak into our lives and to allow him to form our faith and develop our faith so that we could be for him, for Christ. Isn't that just a refreshing thing? Who are you for? I'm for Christ. I mean, there's so many different things. I just want to stay away from the little landmines this morning. But there's so many things that people are for, even as Christians. As, as you know, these last few months have been, you know, just people text me and letting me know that, you know, they're doing okay. And oftentimes I'll run into people that used to worship with us and stuff. And I'll say, hey, how are you doing? And rather than even talk about, like, their life or the life we have in Christ, they go right into their political mantra, their their views on mass, their views on social distancing. I'm like, I can, I can tell what well you've been drinking at. And I pray this morning that we completely get filled up by the living water of Jesus Christ. To where we, we, we just, all of this other stuff loses its, its influence, its power upon us in our decision-making processes. We are free Truly free. We're going to look at the life of Moses. So in Hebrews 11, verse 23. For you that might be new around here and new online, why are we in this chapter? Why is there a chapter on faith? Why is this like chapter written by this kind of unknown author? We know that ultimately all of these books of the Bible are authored by our Heavenly Father. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Why? This group of Hebrews, converted Jews, again, need this whole chapter on faith. They need it for the very same reasons you and I need it. Because sometimes our faith gets rocked. Sometimes our faith gets to a point where It's just not what God designed it to be. It's not a growing, persevering faith. It's a faltering faith. And as you read through this letter, you're like, that was happening to these Christians. Man, the the, the pressures of their day, the circumstances around their life was so rocking their faith that God's like, I'm going to give you like this crazy chapter and I'm going to start it off by talking about what, what faith is. If you're new here, it's just this. Verses 1 through 3, paraphrased. Faith. Again, our faith is only as as good as where we place it. So we're not just talking about faith in something. We're talking about faith in Jesus, who in the first 10 chapters, he's talking up and saying he is greater, more superior to anything that you would leave him for and run back to. So faith in Jesus, this, this pistis, this faith, is 100% living in, not just believing, but living in absolute confidence that what God has said He will do even when the fullness of the problem promise is yet to be seen. And just like we would do if we wanted to really seal a deal in a court of law, we would bring in witness after witness after witness and go, check it out. So the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 brings 17 Old Testament patriarch examples saying, this is what persevering faith looks like. Let's look at the life of Abel and Enoch and Noah. And let's look at the life of the father of faith, Abraham. And just gives example after example in their life of what persevering faith looks like lived out. We come this morning to the life of, 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 of Moses. This isn't the first time the writer of Hebrews refers to this man. Because in a great part to the mindset of the Jewish audience that he is trying to reach, Moses is like this iconic figure. And so back in chapter 3, he's basically just going, listen, you just need to remember Jesus is superior to Moses. 
They looked at Moses and revered him as the greatest of prophets. They did so with justifiable reasons. In Exodus chapter 3, you go through the book of Exodus, you go, man, that's interesting. And they all knew this. God like spoke to him clearly from this like burning bush. Like, hey, the ground you're standing on right now, it's holy ground. Take off the sandals off of your feet. And they know that God had a specific commission, a specific plan for this prophet Moses. He says there at the burning bush, I have heard the cries of my people. If you're new to this part of the Bible, he's referring to the nation of Israel that had been enslaved Egypt for 400 years. And they're building the, the, the supply cities for the Pharaoh. And they've been crying out to God for 400 years. And God says to Moses now in Exodus 3, I've heard those cries. I, I just, I've heard them. And I want you to know, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them out of that land to this good land, this large land that flows with milk and honey. Then he says this to Moses. And they knew this. Come now. Come. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. They knew. They remembered quite clearly. Exodus 7-12, through 12, the, the, the ten times that God sent Moses to Pharaoh and just like, you got to let God's people go. And if you don't, he is going to like bring these crazy plagues. They knew that the, the Nile River, a river turned from water into blood. They knew about the frogs, the gnats, the flies that swarmed upon the people of Egypt, but not the, the, the people of God. They knew about the boils and the hail that uh, affected and afflicted man and beast, but not the children of God. They also knew about that, that last plague where God had warned through the mouth of Moses, Pharaoh, if you don't let my people go, the firstborn in every household is going to die, both man and beast. They knew all about that. They knew all about this guy that their, their, their two and a half million of their people followed out of Egypt. And they knew what it was like when, when he led them to the Red Sea and he stretched out his rod when they were all complaining at the Red Sea. Like, we're toast. And God separated the waters before Moses as he stretched out that rod. They knew about that. They knew about them entering into the promised land and the people were thirsty and Moses hits that rock and the, the water came out and, and just they saw God's power unleashed through the life of this man, Moses. They knew that God had communicated directly to this guy. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, it said, God says there, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, but not so with Moses. I talk to this guy face to face. Very plainly, not in dark sayings. They knew that it was Moses that God had given the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 34. And to the Jew, the, the, the law was the greatest thing in the world to them. Moses is like this great, elevated lawgiver. God gave it to him. He gave it to the people. He was the conduit of the Ten Commandments. That means the Levitical system, the sacrificial system, even the, the building and the order for the tabernacle. Everything in their religious system was tied to this prophet, this man Moses. They knew he authored the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. All of this elevates his greatness in the eyes of these people. He was revered by the people. In Exodus chapter 33, in verse 8, it says when, when Moses, whenever he went, well, like walked out of his tent in the mass of all these people, everyone who saw him stood. Could you imagine every time I walked in the room, everybody stood in this place? That'd be very, only one person. This is, this is what I get right here. But how, I love you. But, but, but how, how bizarre was that to be that revered? to where everybody stood while you were outside of the tent, and they stood there until you went back into your tent. Highly revered was this man. When he died, God himself buried Moses in an, in an anonymous place. So revered was this man. He knew they would come and worship his bones. 
Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12 says, closes. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before the servants in the land, and by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all of Israel. Now they revered this guy. And when they would, they would be leaving you know, Christianity, which is really the argument to be made here in the book of Hebrews, you know, like, look, they're, they're leaving Jesus, man. They're leaving a person. And they're walking away from the person of Christ. These people are redeemed. They're saved. They've been following him. And all of a sudden, we go through this letter. It's like, they're, they're leaving him? For what? They've caved in. Their faith is faltering. They're going back to their religious practices. The old covenant. And at the, at the pinnacle of all of that was I'm leaving Christ and I'm going back to what they revered in men. And at the top of that list was Moses. And so there, in the first part of the book, he's like, Jesus is so superior. By faith, in verse 23 here, as we look now at Moses and his being an example of persevering faith by Faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. I would like to just preach the last part of that verse right there. They were just not afraid of the king's command. Would anybody say amen right now? Would that be a good topic to go through today? We'll get to it. The initial faith that is put the spotlight is put on is not the faith of Moses, but the faith of his parents that would lead to the faith of their child. That's where the spotlight is, is first place. So a couple of points. I'm going to bring up, I think, five points this morning. Number one, about persevering faith. Persevering faith is heroic and it's infectious. We learn that really by studying the circumstances of Moses' birth and like the early years of his life. In Exodus 2, 1 through 4, it says there was a man of the house of Levi. He went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that the son was beautiful, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she takes, this is Moses' mom, she takes an ark of bulrushes and, 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 and covers it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to her little brother. In Exodus chapter 20, we learn the names of, of Moses' parents, Aniram and Jochebed. Moses' sister was named Miriam. She would become a prophetess. And he had a brother by the name of Aaron who would become a high priest. But his parents... You look at his parents, they were married during some very, very dark days for Israel. In Exodus 1, again, we go through the book of Exodus, we realize that, na that the nation of Israel was living under extreme oppression under the Egyptians. There was a new king that arose who did not know Joseph. We'll talk about him next week. Not the king, but Joseph. And he saw that Israel had grown, that they had multiplied. And he was thinking, these guys might be mightier now than us. So he makes them slaves, taskmasters, building his supply cities. As they were building these supply cities out of brick and mortar, the more that he afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. But the darkness would intensify. The king would then make a decree, an order to the Hebrew midwives that when any of the Hebrew wives were about to give birth, they were to kill that Israeli baby if it was a boy. The midwives, it says, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but saved the male Hebrew children. There was ever a time to stand up against human government this is it. 
standing up for the unborn. Amen? Well, because the women refused to disobey God and commit murder, God honored their civil disobedience and was good to the midwives, and the people grew more. They multiplied more. So the king's like, okay, I want to find, I want you to round up all the male little guys, and I want you to throw them in the Nile River. They can become just, there's crocodiles in that river. Not the best time to get married. Not the best time to conceive. Not the best time to give birth. Not the best time to raise a child. In these dark days, Aniram and Jochebed were married. They conceive. They have this little son. And, and it just says that, that he was beautiful. He's a, he's a good-looking kid. Now, I haven't met a parent yet that was like, my kid's ugly, check him out. <laughs> you know where I can go with this. Every child is so beautiful. Don't you see the beauty? And you're like, eh. yes, beautiful. Lord, help them. It wasn't like they were like, hey, this kid's so beautiful. Let's keep this one. He's a keeper. No, it wasn't that. Actually, the scholars who are way smarter than me and I read their stuff, they believe they saw something unique in this kid. Quite possibly the beauty of God's calling upon this kid. They're like, God's got a plan for this kid. But what the author is pointing out, and don't miss this, was the persevering faith, the heroic persevering faith of Moses, who would become the most revered prophet in the nation of Israel. Huh. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. They were so grounded in their faith that when it became time and impossible to conceal their son, they would just do something that only persevering faith would do. Exodus 2, Jochebed took this papyrus basket, covered it with pitch, put her little beautiful three-month-old baby boy in that little ark, set it in the reeds over by where Pharaoh's daughter would, would commonly bathe, and then took Moses' big sister and kind of gave her an assignment. You go stand over there and you just watch what happens to our, our son. Keep an eye on it. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river, her maidservants saw the little ark that was there. They, they, they walked along the riverside. They saw the little ark there. They, they, they realized that there was a little Hebrew boy in that ark. They brought him. They brought Moses to the daughter of Pharaoh. And we're like, look at this guy. He is so crazy cute. And right then, Moses, his big sissy, Miriam, she sees all this and she goes, hey, 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 I can help. Is, 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 is what you got there? I can help. She just kind of did that like a big sis. She knew what was going on. She's like, you know, I can go over to some of our Hebrew midwives and maybe bring someone, one of them over to help rear that little guy. Would that be cool? And they not only said yes, but they said we will pay for that midwife to rear this little guy. So Miriam, she goes and gets her mommy. And she's all, Mom, I, you're not going to believe what happened. I was down by the river. They found Moses. Who, 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 who found Moses? That's Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, no. No, no, no. It's really cool. They fell in love with him. He's a keeper. And, and they, they, they want us... They want to see him raised. And they, they've, they've allowed me. I just pitched the idea. And they're like, yeah, we like that idea. We, we, Mom, why don't I bring you over there and why don't you be the midwife? And they gave little Moses to his mom to be reared, to be raised in those younger years. And that little boy, that little baby 
listen, who would end up leading two and a half million people, all of those people out of Egypt. Think of the faith that it would take of that guy to stand in front of Pharaoh one day. That little guy would need that faith instilled in him. And there in a slave hut in Egypt, the plan of God would begin in the heart of two parents whose faith was real enough to instill God in their little boy. Today we live in a day and age, oh, look at what's going on. We're all pulled apart. What are we going to do in children's ministry? What are we going to do as a church? What are we going to do? I don't know what you're going to do, but I know God is going to advance his plan. The question is, are you going to be all in? Think of what fear they had to overcome. Think of what challenges. Think of just the unthinkable conversations they had before they went to sleep. For three months having that little guy knowing they're not supposed to have him with them. He's supposed to be in the Nile. He's supposed to be done. Think of the intense war against their faith. But God was real. God was real. And they instilled that conviction of how real God was in that little boy. Getting paid to nurse your own baby and raise him during those early years. So Moses was preserved by his parents, by their heroic, persevering faith, and he was nurtured by that faith. Acts 7, verse 25, in Stephen's sermon, he's referring to many of the patriarchs leading up to Christ, and he's about to be stoned. It says that when Moses made his first attempt to defend his people, he refers to Moses and how he's defending the people before Pharaoh. He says that Moses, he thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. And that was just in the early church's mindset. That's how they saw Moses. That Moses grew up with this conviction that what he was doing was the plan of God for his life. What a great encouragement to Christian parents and grandparents and great-grandparents that are attempting to raise a godly family in our modern-day Egypt, in these dark days of godlessness and lawlessness. Look at how the faith of this parent can impact a life. For all of you that have an influence over a child's life, whether it's being an uncle, an aunt, a grandparent, a teacher, passing on our faith is a great privilege you have great power and immense responsibility in forming and shaping faith in the life of the little ones around us. Don't miss this. Israel's deliverance began with an obscure couple believing God in the midst of darkness. Yesterday I came over here to the property and I've been gone for, you know, uh, I don't know, a few days. So. I just came, and I had some stuff to do. I'm walking around, I'm praying, and I, I walked over to this whole new children's wing that we're building out. And I was like, well, that's a big project. I just, lots been getting done. And, and, and I just, in my heart, I just kind of, man, Lord, I know you know what you're doing. And I just want you to know I'm all in. I'm all in. That dust in the air. Some guys are jackhammering some stuff. And I was just like, I... I, and I was thinking about the little feet, just the little feet that are going to just fill up those hallways one day, and those classrooms one day, and the privilege that we will continue to have to instill the faith of Jesus Christ in the life of these little ones that come around here. Think of what persevering faith can accomplish in our future because we are faithful to Jesus Christ today. By faith, in verse 24, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming, in verse 26, the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, 
for he looked to the reward. Number two, persevering faith is just courageous. The author moves forward probably about 23 years. Moses in his mid-20s now, you know. He's an adopted son of an Egyptian princess, of course. Now a young man, grown up a bit now in the palace. He was known throughout all of Egypt by the royal distinction of that's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Modern equivalent would be like, that's the Duke of Windsor. To be that during this point in time in the history of the nation of Israel would have been just immense prestige, immense wealth, immense opportunity. He could have enjoyed ultimate power and wealth. He could have enjoyed everything the palace life afforded him, but in verse 24, by faith. Again, not just faith in anything, faith in God. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, he's like, I'm just not going to be called. I don't want you giving me that designation. There's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And be, by refusing that designation, you know that's going to get back to Pharaoh's daughter who's raising you as her own, and it's going to get back to her dad. That's some serious faith. But true, persevering faith is courageous. It will courageously stand in the face of whatever opposes God whenever God calls for it. Choosing rather, in verse 26, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. If you're new to like Bible study, that's a great description of sin, is it not, believers? The passing pleasure of sin. How many of you guys know that sin is just... It has a fulfilling moment or two. Amen? You could pretend like you're awake. I mean, you know, you're, I know it's been a while since, you know. How many of you guys eat Chinese food and 10 minutes later you're hungry? Okay, you're, you're, you're on, you're, you are on the same page as me. Sin is that way. Doesn't matter what it is. There's a pleasure to it. The Bible does not say otherwise. But it's a passing pleasure. That's why you're on to the next and the next and the next. Moses, though, this man of faith who had his parents instill faith in God in him, grows up now and he's like, I would rather associate with and live with and be identified with all of these slaves and the life of slavery than what Egypt, the palace life, all that wealth, all that prestige, all that honor, and all the partying and all the debauchery and everything else that comes with Egypt. I would rather say no mas to that and yes to God and his people. Wow. Persevering faith is courageous, even to the point where it would say to our day, yeah, there's the, there's the trends of our day. There's what everyone's getting caught up in that kind of music right now and that kind of entertainment and that kind of pleasure. But man, my faith in Jesus, that is so real. We were singing that last song, and I will adore him. I don't know where you went when you said that or sang that or if, if you connected the word just adore. What do we adore these days? I had my little grandson yesterday. He's seven months, you know, little Ezra. And I had him in a, in a pool for the first time. And, 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 and I'm looking at, I see, I see his dad and him. I see his mom and him. I see me and him. I see Lori and him. I'm like, I just adore you. It, just, it, was, it was like one of those, you know, I don't know, what was that Lion King movie? Just, just whoa, you know. Man, just, I, I adore the little guy. And I, I, he, he hasn't done a whole lot. Just smiles. <laughs> you know? But we adore someone who's done a whole lot. Went to a cross. He's died on that cross. He saved us from 
all of what is just meaningless and not fulfilling. The trappings of the world, the vices of the world, the shackles of the world, the destruction of the world from Satan. He chose this. I choose God and what he's doing with his people rather than the world that's living apart from God. Chose to abandon the palace life and hang with slaves because of his faith. Because Moses' faith, he chose temporary mistreatment in identifying with God and God's people instead of temporary fulfillment in identifying with the world. Listen to this. True, persevering faith will cause you and me as a believer to hold the right values and make the right decisions. So important right now that God is directing our steps. He's leading us in our decisions. 26, an interesting verse. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. Moses' faith in God caused him to see some things as more valuable than all of the treasures in Egypt. The, the palace, all the wealth of the palace, all the, just the pomp and circumstance and the palace life, all of that began to just look dull to this man who had eyes of faith, who had eyes for God. The material world began to, to pale in the shadow of the eternal. So by faith, Moses embraced the kind of two aspects of the eternal plan of God. Number one, it's kind of interesting, but he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And the writer of Hebrews is he's writing, of course, after the cross, and he's looking back, and he's realizing that in identifying with the people of Israel... He's identifying and seeing greater value in that. And this is a people where one day the Messiah would come. And from that perspective, the writer of Hebrews is like, he's, he's so much more excited about the plan of God that brings about the Son of God that Egypt just began to lose its bling. And part of that plan is heaven. He looked to the reward. And so he made choices and he made decisions with what's best for my eternity in mind. I came here on Friday and we had a funeral and, and, and as I got here I was just so blessed to see people and hang out with people and I, I saw some people wearing yarmulkes and they're saying part of the family's got some Jewish roots and stuff and I'm like, oh, great, this is going to be awesome, man, because we're going to we're going to just get in the Old Testament and talk about life and, 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 and the fall and, and creation and death and, 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 and covenants and, and, and redemption. And we're going to bring it all the way forward and we're going to just get into the gospel. Then we talked about heaven. And as many funerals as we do as a church, and I've yet to see anybody or talk to anybody that when you're talking about heaven, they don't have some sort of longing to go there. I've never had anybody around a funeral go, that's, I want to go, I choose hell. I haven't had that happen yet. Maybe it's happening, but I haven't had anybody tell me that. Moses, the faith instilled by his parents in this little guy grew and matured and developed into a persevering faith where he's like thinking about eternity a lot. Paul would say, Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, just let these words settle into your soul. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
Though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction is yet but for a moment. And it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we don't look at the things which are seen, because we're looking at things which are not seen, the eternal things. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 27, by faith again, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This brings us to our fourth point. True persevering faith does not give in to fear. You know, the endurance of Moses was not a natural gift. He was timid. He he was hesitant. The endurance of Moses came from the faith of Moses, where he placed his faith. His whole life was marked by faith. The first 40 years in Pharaoh's house, at 40, he slays that Egyptian he flees the, the, the palace. Then he goes, which the author is kind of talking about here. He leaves Egypt and he lives in the land of Midian, which also was all about faith. Eventually he would be going to Pharaoh. Exodus 7 through 11. And ten times, ten times, you'd walk up to the man who took you in his daughter, who took you in. But you had been going around town saying, don't say I'm of that family line. Then you killed one of his his own as a Hebrew. You killed an Egyptian. You fled because you knew that ain't going to work out real well. But then God grabs your attention. And that faith that was instilled in you by your parents begins to be rekindled. And God begins to... Reveal his plan for you will go to Pharaoh. (laughs) And you're going to tell him to let my people, who he has and the nation has had in bondage for 400 years. And by the way, he's building all of his supply cities with those very people. Just tell him, let him go. And if he doesn't, I'm going to jack up his life. Ten plagues, ten times. Persevering faith does not cave in to fear. By faith, he endured as he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Listen, seeing him who is invisible. How did he do that? Faith's eye saw the physical, but the physical eye could not see. We fully trust God. We actually believe what God do like he's going to do it living in absolute confidence of what God said he's going to do so he put his faith in God and walked up to Pharaoh and was like this is what God said that was his plan God's plan for him what is God's plan for you today what's God's plan for me today 28 by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood Lest he should, or lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch, touch them. This brings us to our fifth point. True persevering faith will indeed bless others. It'll bless others. Moses would come back to the people and say, Every one of you, you've got to sacrifice a lamb, you've got to take the blood of that lamb, and you've got to put it on the the doorpost and the lentil, the sign of a cross. You've got to do this. Imagine one guy to two and a half million people to be so convincing. Like, notice, none of the other plagues have, have touched us, only the Egyptians. But now understand this. This is serious. You've got to get that lamb. And you've got to appropriate the blood of that lamb to you and your household, man. And if you do that, The judgment of God, this death angel thing that's going to judge the life of the firstborn in every home is going to pass over your house. So 
impacting was Moses' faith on these people that they did it. So impacting was his parents' faith on Moses that in his 20s, then into his 30s, this guy's faith would now have an impact on others. And so they did. The death angel came through the land of Egypt. There was a cry. Just like God said there would be. Moses would go to Pharaoh and say, you better let the people go, because if you don't, this is what God's going to do. And there's going to be a cry in this land like you've never heard before, bro. I don't know if he said bro. And, and Pharaoh's like, just get out of here. That death angel came. The cry was heard. What stands out about Moses' faith here is by faith he kept the Passover which actually means that he instituted the Passover. In the Hebrew, it's the perfect tense. In other words, he actually did something that was ongoing, that would become a lasting ordinance to be done year after year. What's that tell us? That means that, 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 that Moses never doubted in the least that the people would be delivered from Egypt. It's amazing. Lastly, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, had drowned. Now we move into Exodus 14. Exodus 14, they've left Egypt. They come to the Red Seas, mountain ranges on either side of them. It's in the evening. They hear that Pharaoh's set out after them with his army, the people begin to freak out. Moses would still hear the, the ringing of the celebration of them leaving Egypt in his ears, but now he's starting to hear them complain, and some of the things they would say, a few of them, maybe many of them, the representatives. Did you bring us out here to die because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? You know what happened. God who is so faithful to his people, puts this fog between the Egyptians and his two and a half million that he's just freed from Egypt. And in the morning, he's like, Moses, just go up to that, that sea, stretch out your rod, and the waters part. You don't have to be a surfer to enjoy that story. The question would be, and I always, I remember this as a young boy, you know, this is, in Sunday school class, my, my, one of my teachers instilling this in me, instilling the, with Lance, would you want to be at the front of that pack or the back? Would you be the kind of person that puts faith in God or faith in other people who are putting their faith in God? That means like, hey, you guys go first. And, you know, go ahead. I, I'm, I got your back, man. I got this side. Hey, no, I'm just being the cool guy. You go. For, no, seriously, you go for it. Ladies and children first. <laughs> and then you look and you're like, they actually made it. Hey, they're actually being delivered by God. I got to see that before then I'll go and put my feet and be delivered by God. Question is, today, your faith. Front line or back of the line? I had a guy ask me while I was out, oh, you guys are you're Christians. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, what kind of ministry? And I go, front line. I was in a state where it was open carry. He didn't know what I was talking about. You know? but, but I'm in the front of the line. It is front line ministry. I'm not, I'm not doing that because I'm, I'm, I'm like, proud and no 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 I just believe I'm following a God who doesn't retreat that's it I want to be close to him God's working there that's where I want to be someone told me here you know you get now you're looking for him we're not keeping tabs on people we're not doing roll call or anything but you know you, you, people want you to know after a while hey we've, we've kind of moved on to other churches we've moved on to other things and that's great. We've never had membership here. We just love people. We miss them. 
But we're not looking for an explanation. But someone's telling me they, I, I like the perspective. They're like, Lance, I was, I was talking to this one couple, and I've heard this several times. But they asked, you know, to them it was really like the whole, the whole like coronavirus thing. I'll just leave that alone. But this person just said, I believe God is at work in our church, and I just don't want to miss out on it. And they might, you might experience what you need to experience from your home. That's cool. You might want to experience whatever you need to experience with God in whatever way you feel God is leading you. But personally for me, I believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he had a family in mind. He had me in mind. But as the groom, he had his bride in mind. And when he designed the church, we go through the book of Acts and we begin to see the practice of the church. How the Gospels give us who Jesus was in his physical body. The book of Acts gives us who he continues to be in his spiritual body. I can't redefine that. I can't, I can't in my mind, it, 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 we have to be that. And the thing that has always impressed me about the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ, is his ability to pull people together as a body and to use them uniquely as members making up one body, as we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in this season, it has been just absolutely amazing to see the people that are like really excited about this. This is great. I was walking out of the first service, and we're kind of still live, so I'll tell you a couple things. But basically, I was saying this. The way we're going about church, it shouldn't be this fun. You, you, you can laugh. You can actually laugh right now. It's be like, you don't do this in fun. This is like gnarly. There's this big... No, this should not be this fun. But it is. Nehemiah. It says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You got any joy this morning? Without coffee, before coffee, you got joy? I'm going to get myself in trouble. Let's stand. Father, we love you. Thank you for this example, the life of Moses, his, his parents. Whatever you've done in our life this morning, whatever you've done with our faith, please use it to your glory. May our faith be seen for its courage. May it be seen as something far superior to any kind of fear. May it absolutely impact our kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. May it bless others in a, in a just an incredible way. May it be heroic. And may people see us and realize just where our faith is placed. Because you who are for us are working in and through us. To your glory we pray this, Lord. Lastly, for these people that might be listening who have yet to give their life to you, if that's you, you're listening here online, one of our different setups, and you're not a Christian, but you would like to come to God on His terms right now, I want to lead a very simple prayer. You can follow this, but you say these words to God. You say these words to Him because He's the one that's going to save you. And your issue with sin is between you and Him. If that's you, just say, Father, I... I confess to you this morning that I need you. I am a sinner with a sinful nature. And I realize that my sin has separated me from you. So I ask you, I ask you to save me. 
And I want you to pray these next words specifically to your Savior, to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But I want you to be my Savior right now. I need you. Save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Make me that new creation. And Father, we rejoice with heaven over any who will have said this now, will say this prayer, will embrace you through the studies as they go out. For the prodigal among us, oh, Father, no doubt they're lost. No doubt they're empty. No doubt they're hurting if they're not right with you. If that's you, you're distant from God. See him again with open arms and run into his embrace and have a talk to him about what You've ran too as you've ran away from him. Let that go. Let him expose whatever that is and let that go. Surrender that. Repent from that. And hold on to him. And Father, as we navigate through these, these days as your bride, as the church, give us wisdom from above. Give us favor. Give us health. We ask this all in Jesus, your name. Amen and amen.